0: In this uh, Hamas attack on the nation of Israel if they have any inkling what it might mean what it could mean what it would mean uh, along the way but uh, what I mean to tell you it's uh, it's an eye-opener and I would suggest that what we do is we keep our eyes on China. Keep your eyes on Russia, Gog and Magog, and the hordes of the east moving into the west. And uh, we already know that they probably have had some input into it already to some degree when it comes right down to it, but uh, I don't know that there's a whole lot I can say about it. And now uh, at this particular point in time, that would make any anybody here feel any different as far as that goes, but uh, I think young people need to understand that as time moves forward, the Middle East is still the place to keep your eyes. He said that we could know the signs of the times. And the news has reported, and Israel has stated it as well as others have, and that is that this is the the worst attack since the Holocaust. On, on the Jews that are over there. And we have to understand they're bent on one thing and one thing only. And that is to get rid of every single Jew not only in the Middle East but anywhere in the world. They will never be content. And of course I know as everybody else would get upset and threatens to and certainly you should because the atrocities that are being committed and uh, the fact is that God's not going to let anybody destroy him. Unfortunately, they have chosen to live a life rejecting the Messiah. And so there is no guarantees in their lives, one thing, one way or another. But when it comes right down to it, God is not done with the Jews. This may well be part of the fact that God's hands are off for the time being, but even, even though the Hamas and uh, the other terrorists that are over there, they can only go so far before God pulls a plug on them. Yeah. So there's going to be a remnant, and we better be aware of what, what all that significance is about and be forewarned that it's just a matter of time before the Father sends the Son. So is it is happy birthday time? Is it, is it happy birthday time? Well, I think it is. I think it is. We can sing an a cappella. Of course, we can. Yeah. You go, <laughs> I would never want to ruin anybody's birthday <laughs> the last thing in the world I'm going to do is ruin his birthday, well, say happy birthday. All right. happy, you. You. happy birthday, birthday to you happy birthday to you happy birthday God bless you happy birthday to you. Sorry for those who had to hear me on the mic. <laughs> We're looking at the uh, last point I'll be making out of Psalm 61 and introduce, uh, Psalm 60, I'm sorry, and then moving into Psalm 61. So this is the danger of presumption number four, if you will, but we'll be, ours will be point number five, I think, Anyway. Here we go. Uh, tonight, briefly, uh, we're going to close out the uh, the lessons of Psalm 60 concerning the dangers of presumption. To this particular point, we have lifted out five dangers that we face when we presume whether, God, uh, whether with God or without others we strike out. And so the first one was presumption sometimes forces God to turn against us uh, turn against a good person uh, because a person has gotten too big for his britches, and God has to kind of whittle him down a little bit. Uh, as a child of God, you should not discount uh, should not discount God in anything that we do. Uh, it may seem trivial trivial to you, but it's important to you and I, as well as it is important to God, because He wants to be included. Now, how many of you men want your wife to do things without talking with you? or asking you or talking to you about the whole thing or vice versa, you would kind of feel like left out. You would probably feel hurt. And you get an emotional depression. <laughs> like, you could have at least asked me. You could have talked to me about it. One thing, you know, one of those kind of things. here. Well, I, I, I don't God doesn't get depressed. But usually when we get ahead of God, because we got too big for our britches, it's because we think we can handle this. And a child can be pretty insulting when a parent wants to help them and the child keeps pushing them back. I can do this. I, can, I don't need your help. I can do this. And it isn't that we can't do certain things, but there are some things that we strike out on that God already knows that may not be uh, something that we would have seen or something that we would not have predicted, but he sees it and he may have a different uh, a different direction for us to go. So it's important to put it before the Lord because he, he knows ahead of time. And so the second thing was presumption forces God to get our attention, and that is when we strike out ahead of God, God is still back here and say, hey, yo, 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 come on back here a minute or two. Yeah, I'm going to talk to you about this a little bit. Uh, the third thing was presumption forces bad things in the lives of good people in order to produce great results, and that is humility. And so uh, God had, and we can look at Joseph in a couple of a couple of uh, uh, views, if you will, and I think one of them was that God was going to prepare Joseph to do something astounding. And that astounding was to save much people alive. It wasn't just one of the Egyptians, but it was all in the Mediterranean area that uh, when Egypt was being blessed with their harvest, and able to store, they were able to be able to sell and give to areas and nations of people all around the Mediterranean. And so uh, God allowed what happened to Joseph to happen, and God said, I'm going to use this to prepare Joseph for the most important task of his entire life. Then, of course, we also realize that his brothers, as Joseph said, you meant evil, but God meant it for good. So that's one of those situations there. But thirdly, presumption forces bad things uh, in the lives of good people. And the fourth thing was presumption is best cured by by, by godliness, and that's what we're going to be looking at here in a little bit. Uh, so... Uh, presumption is best cured and God's credentials are the only ones we finished with that last week God's credentials are the only ones that really matter uh, thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think would get us in a lot of trouble that's that attitude I'm, I'm, I'm too big for my britches along the way and so finally tonight uh, should be number six here uh, God, when, when godly fear is lacking we're on our own and that's where Israel is right now Israel It's still under God's umbrella. I mean, God still has plans. God still has a purpose for Israel. But they have turned their back on God. Many of them have turned their back on God. Now, the Orthodox, they're still back in the day of Moses, if you will, back in the Old Testament, the days of the law. But uh, they have turned their back on God's gift of Messiah. And as a result of that, they're really on their own. And uh, you can see that... uh, A lot of things have happened to Israel that probably would not have happened if they had embraced the Messiah, for sure. And so, in verses 9 through 17, Psalm 60, and uh, 9 through uh, 12, it should be uh, verses 9 through 12, uh, Who will bring me into the strong city? Who will lead me into Edom? Wilt not thou, O God, which hast cast us off? And thou, O God, which didst not go out with our armies... Give us help from trouble, for vain is the help of man, though through God, rather, we shall do valiantly, for he it is that shall tread down our enemies. Now, it's kind of like uh, uh, waking up a little bit after the fact, coming to the reality of, okay, we really did get ahead of ourselves here on this thing for sure. So in, in these verses, 9 through 12, we see that David has come full circle from that of pridefulness, that said, I, I, I've done this before. Uh, I, it's, not a, it's not a first time for me. Uh, I believe that I can do it again. And there's probably a whole lot of I, I, I in there based on past successes in which uh, he's looking back and he's discounting the fact that God was the one who gave him those victories. God is willing to fight for his people when it is absolutely necessary. And so David's saying to himself, at this particular point, he said, I've gotten ahead of God and it's turning out to be a disaster. Note verse 10, when he says there in verse 10, Wilt not thou, O God, which hadst has cast us off, and thou, O God, which didst not go out with our armies? David went out. He went out with self and his soldiers, having probably planned for everything possible, except for the fact that God wasn't in it. God was not in it. God was not included. Now, as disasters loom, David is humbled, and after the fact, seeking God out in verses 9 and 11. So in verse 9 it says, Who will bring me into the strong city? Who will lead me into Edom? Now remember, he's, uh, he's up in the north, fighting up in Mesopotamia, and then you've got the Edomites from Edom are encrouching in, into the south. And now he's going to ask that God, say, I'm way up here. Another enemy is approaching from the south. Lord, who are you going to use to deal with that, that particular battle? Well, it's a good thing. Brethren, he's looking for how how we're going to handle both these battles that I'm in right now. But verse 11 says, give us help uh, from trouble, for vain is the help of man. He had no place to go. He had looked to self. He had looked to his troops. That wasn't working out very, very well for him. And now it's simply in the hands of God. And sometimes God has to bring us set out circumstances in those situations where we have nothing but God. Nothing but God. And that's a good thing. It's just that we should come to that point beforehand, not after the fact. Amen. So reality has hit home and has set in with David. And it caused David to see a couple of things. It brought David to a couple of realities here that I want us to be mindful of. Reality number one, David's past successes were all due to God and not David. When we look back over our lives, and it may seem like uh, we did this and we did that, but the truth of the matter is God is the one who enables. We're his children, and he wants us to be successful he wants us to be good, but he wants us to be successful and good uh, within his plan and purpose for our lives. See, we operate many times outside that will, sometimes outside God's plan for our lives, and we want God to bless that. Listen, let's get back in, 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 in the bound, or the boundaries of where we're supposed to be. Let's walk God's will. Let's walk God's purposes. And you say, well, I don't know what God's will is. And I don't know what God's purpose is. Yeah, you do. Or if you really don't know, it's because you're not in the word of God. Because in the word of God, God tells us plainly what his will for our lives is. He has told us in the scriptures. Now, he may lead you to do something other than with what is in the scriptures. Now, your will and my will uh, from God is identically the same. Did you know that? It is identically. The only difference is that God's called me to use that in a ministry as a pastor. He has still called you with the the, uh, same expectations within God's will for our lives to reach those around us whom I would never reach, people at work, people in your neighborhood, and so on. Uh, They're there, but when it comes right down to it, my will is not, God's will for my life isn't any different than it is for yours other than the fact that God said, I want you to be a pastor. And God made sure that he shut every door between here and there to get to, I mean, I tried every other door along the way. And the only door that I could get through was, was the pastor when it comes right down to it. So, the first reality is that David's past successes were all due to God and not David. In John chapter 15 and verse 5, Jesus says, uh, There, he said, Without me, ye can do nothing. Now, you can do a lot. I mean, you could build a house, you could fix a car, you could do all those kind of things without God. But how much better is it to do those things with God? Yeah. Amen? How much better? Because, you know what, I looked at some of the things that I did in my early adult life, and along the way, still making mistakes along the way, and that was uh, I never really checked in with God. And I could look back on those things now. I look back and say, I did not do this with God. I did not ask God to get involved. I did not ask God to guide me or to direct me or one thing or another. I was not a prayer warrior back in those days. Praying, going to church was not a part of my life, even though I had been raised differently. It was not a part of my life. And so I can see some of the things that I did that I should have just gotten to the Lord, said, Lord, I'm not sure I'm going to be in over my head over this, but Lord, you guide and you direct and get me through this mess. And many times the outcome of some of those things were a real disaster, a real disaster. And I realized that uh, I spent more time doing nothing than I would have if I'd done something with the Lord. But reality number two is that David allowed himself to be caught up in his... Uh, in his uh, moments of past victories and move forward with his plans without considering God's plan or God's desire. We see it in verse 11. Now, when you look at this reality number two, many times Christians are, are moving forward on past victories. Victories that they prayed for, victories that they prayed about, Endeavors that they bathe before the Lord to do, and the assumption is now. Perhaps maybe I have reached a stage of maturity where I don't have to pray anymore. I don't have to bring it before God anymore. I don't have to let God in on it. God knows my record. He's gonna. He's gonna. He's gonna work with me on this thing here. That's not the way it works. Not the way it works at all. And so verse eleven says, "Give us help from trouble." He said, "Lord, I'm in mean, over my head." We're in deep trouble. Looks like we could lose the nation of Israel to our enemies. And so he said, give us help from trouble, for vain is the help of man. Who do I turn to? Who can actually give me a victory? Well, one of the worst things that any of us as believers could do is to turn to someone else for help when we can go to God for help first and foremost. And God will lead you or someone else to get involved, to come alongside and to help you along the way. And so... David learned another lesson. And reality number three is that when David discovered the Edomites, taking advantage of David and his troops warring in the north, David saw the very real possibility of disaster to the nation of Israel itself. And this led David to rightly and wisely question his own abilities. Now, it's one thing to say, Lord, I don't think I'm up to this. I don't think I'm up to being a pastor. I don't think I'm up to being an evangelist. I don't think I'm up to being a missionary. I don't think I'm up to a Sunday school teacher. I don't think I'm up to whatever it is that God would have us to do. And I don't think there's any problem admitting that I don't have what it takes. But I have a God who can enable me to do what it takes or to provide what I need in order to be able to accomplish what he's called me to accomplish. And that's all God really wanted from David. It was was that, that David would check in with God and say, God, I don't know how this is going to sugar off. I know I've got enemies to the south. I've got enemies to the west. I've got enemies to the east. I've got many enemies to the north. And Lord, I want to do this. But Lord, if you don't want me to do this, then Lord, you stop me. Lord, if you're in this, then Lord, I want you to provide the ability and the knowledge and the wisdom to be able to accomplish this. That's not that difficult. It's not that hard to do, is it? But it's amazing how pride always tries to take a shortcut. And so God has has to sometimes and at times bring us back to reality. That with God all things are possible. And it's a good thing that God leads us to face obstacles that are bigger than ourselves, knowing that well as someone expressed it, sometimes it's just better off to sit back and 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 hope it goes away. <laughs> Which it never does. It may hide itself for a little bit, but it always seems to come back someplace else in a different different form and in a different way. But four times in the New Testament, Jesus himself says that with God all things are possible. And he even acknowledges with himself that, that he himself operated within the will of God. He's the son of God, but he operated within the will of God. And so reality number four this evening is that in all of this, that which Satan could not accomplish... With armies of the Canaanites, Satan was able to do with pridefulness and past victories. For the absence of humility, don't you think for a moment that Satan doesn't recognize it? And he will puff you up. I think it's Judge Judy uses this expression. She said, "When you're buying a car from someone and they tell you how great it is, she said that's called puffing. <laughs> They're making it sound better than what it really is." Bar beware, for sure. Well, you know, Satan is a puffer. If he senses that a lack of humility in us, then he will puff at us with all kinds of pride. You can do this. You can do that. You don't need God. You don't need this church. You don't need that. Yeah, you, you've got it. And you get out there and you realize, whoa, I really didn't have it after all. And so always, always invoke God in your, in your plans and allow him to guide us or to guide you with his foreknowledge, his wisdom and His presence. There is nothing more comforting than doing what God wants you to do, knowing that God is beside you. But boy, it's a whole different ball game. When you're out there, you're doing the doing and you know that God's not alongside of you. There is an emptiness, there is an uneasiness, an unsettledness about it. And so the exercise of our will, or allowing God to direct. Our will makes the difference between success or failure, whether whether it's who to marry, where to go to school, with whom to make friends. Now, listen, we make a lot of foolish decisions out there because we have this attitude, I'm a grown-up. I'm mature. But you don't have a crystal ball. You don't know the future. Let me tell you something, God does. Know the future. He doesn't need a crystal ball, but he knows the future. And so we make decisions, not bathe before God, especially when we've already made up our mind that we're going to do a certain thing, and we're going to go out and we're going to do this come um, the floods or whatever comes, <laughs> whatever comes. There's another word that I'm going to use it, but you get the you get the you get the idea. And so our young people are choosing schools that are not going to help them spiritually. They're choosing schools and courses that are not going to be worth a nickel when they get out of school. And you think of all that money wasted when if they had just spent some time in prayer before God, saying, Lord, I'm, I'm between a rock and a place. I don't know what to do. I don't know which way to go. Lord, you guide and you direct me. And then you stop. You stand back. And give God some time to lead you. We have this tendency, well, I prayed to God yesterday, and today's another day. I'm going to make my choice, make my decision. Well, you know, we have to be careful. Even even, even uh, who to make friends with, we have to be careful. Where to live and, and, and where to go to church are or, or, or but a few important areas where God's will is paramount in our lives as the children of God. If you're not saved, you're on your own. <laughs> Everybody as much as someone who is willing to act independent of God's will for their lives or God's plan for their lives... Technically, you're you're on your own when you step outside of that. But let's make sure we understand that the place God has in our plans will make all the difference between success or failure along the way. Now, Jesus was fully committed to the will of the Father. We'll close with this, getting our prayer time here. In John chapter 5, verse 29. There had been a discussion about who Jesus was and what his purpose and all was. And and his response is simply, in verse 29, and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Now, that's not really the verse that I wanted. where Jesus simply said, um, there we go to the next verse. Yeah, verse 30. He said, I can, I, I can of mine own self do nothing. He's the son of God. He was here at creation. He helped to speak the world into existence, the universe and all of creation into existence. But look what he says here. He says, um, I can of my, mine own self do nothing. He was simply saying, even though I am co-equal with the Father, I have surrendered my will to the Father's will. Now, folks, that's powerful. That's a powerful example. Are we any more important than Jesus that we don't have to submit our wills to the Father's will? But he goes on and he says, uh, I can of myself do nothing as I hear... I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will but the will of the Father which has sent me. If you and I want to live a successful Christian life the Father's will for our life and how we execute that is absolutely paramount as to a successful Christian life or a failed Christian life. Amen. Not necessarily maybe the things we want to hear but let's finish out the rest of the week strong. Lord, I didn't invoke you on Monday. I didn't invoke you on Tuesday. Lord, Wednesday wasn't much better out there in the world. But I'm going to make sure that Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and until you come, Lord, I'm going to check in with you first and foremost. I'm going to give you time to speak to my heart. And make sure that you allow time for God to lead and and to guide you there. But then uh, just let me introduce this next psalm. It's, it's, It's about mixed emotions. About mixed emotions. And I think all of us at one time really have have mixed emotions about certain things along the line there. But experiencing mixed emotions is never a great experience, and others uh, see it as well a sign that not all is right spiritually with us, the individual. And we probably think the same thing concerning ourselves. So one has to wonder about Joseph's emotional state as his brothers sold him to Satan's merchants, uh, to the Sabean merchants, rather, uh, to be sold as a slave. (laughs) These are my brothers, my flesh and blood. And they're selling me. They put me on the slave market. So things were looking up somewhat as he served in Potiphar's house and he served well. Mrs. Potiphar decided that uh, she wanted to uh, have him for a lover. And he ran out of the house. She lied about it. Now he's in jail. Lord, just when I thought things were going well, what did I do wrong? Mixed emotion. I'm sure he must have had something along the line there. So, we are only told that Joseph behaved himself wisely and that God blessed Joseph because he behaved himself wisely. Now, the home life was quite fractious, if you will, but he was loved of his father and hated by his brothers, sold into slavery, treated as a prisoner, and eventually, in God's timing, Joseph becomes the second highest in all the land of Egypt. Talk about a roller coaster ride of a life. There had to be moments of, of mixed emotions. And so how would you or I have responded in that whirlwind or turbulent events that Joseph experienced in his life? How'd you respond? Give me something to think about this week as you think about that towards the next Wednesday, the Lord willing. So if the rapture occurs, we can talk to him personally and ask him. But in the meantime, kind of go through the scenario yourself. So in this psalm, we find David experiencing great joy at the same time, simultaneously, mixed emotions. How do we juxtapose these to each other? Amen? Amen.